0: Hey, my name is Anthony Fung, and I'm Ben's guest on Big Fat Five.
1: What is up? Welcome back to Big Fat Five, a podcast financially supported by Big Fat Snare Drum. This is a re-airing of a now archived episode that is no longer available on our main feed, well, now it is, from the dark times before we switched to our current format. But you can still go find all the archived episodes at BigFatSnaredrum.com. I've revamped this one and added a little music, so it's kind of how I always wanted it to be presented anyways, but I chatted with Anthony Fung, an incredible drummer and good buddy based in Los Angeles, about the five records and subsequent drummers that will finally get you into jazz. I first saw Anthony play at the now-defunct Blue Whale in Los Angeles, and we eventually became friends. He's an incredible drummer, and I knew he'd be just the person to answer all my elementary questions regarding jazz drumming. I'll just speak for myself on this, but I've always been insecure with my knowledge on jazz. I've gotten quite a bit better since this was recorded, but a lot of it's because of this conversation. And while I do play a song clip from each album during our chat, I don't necessarily say which song it is in real time because I didn't add those tracks until just now. But I've listed them all in the show notes so you can go dive deeper on your own. Alright, cheers. Before we get into the jazz drumming records, can you tell me a little bit more just about your history as a as a drummer?
0: Yeah, absolutely. Sure. You know, I started pretty early. I guess not that early. I guess 10 is not super early these days. Some some kids are starting when they're like two or three. Um, but I watched this movie, Drumline. Did you remember this movie? This oh, yeah. Movie? Nick
1: Cannon? Heck yeah.
0: Yeah, Nick Cannon. Dude, you know, if I ever seen Nick Cannon, I'd be like, you know, you're the reason why I'm still drumming. That's like my career path because of you. And then, uh, you know, I started taking drum lessons uh, a week after. Then I took drum lessons for a couple months. You know, I learned just what I needed to know just to start, like, transcribing things. And that time I was listening to, like, Blink-182, Linkin Park, you know, some 41, Simple Plan. Did not expect you of, like, to op-tets.
1: say that. That's awesome.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I was, you know, just like, it was a hobby and, you know, something that I really loved to do. And it wasn't until uh, high school I had a friend who needed a, a drummer for his jazz quintet for a, for a Christmas concert. You know, we were playing this Christmas concert. I think it was like a Frank Sinatra tribute. And uh, our singer, you know, wanted to uh, play Fly Me to the Moon. And, uh, you know, back then, I didn't know anything about song form or anything. I just knew the simple, you know, jazz, swing, ride beat, like, you know. Sure. And uh, I just stopped in the middle of the song. And my buddy, Joe, turned around. He's like, don't ever play like that ever again. Like, learn how to play the drums. Like, (laughs) I was hooked. And after that, he was actually the one that gave me the, you know, you know five amazing jazz cds like that i'm still listening to today he kind of started everything off for me you know that's why i'm going to talk about some of these records that uh that he showed me back then anyways fast forward um i went to berkeley uh studied there for three and a half years uh studied with a number of great music uh, great drummers like ralph peterson and uh Tara lynn carrington uh, neil smith uh as those that's as far as drummers go um i also studied with uh, danilo perez great pianist um, from Panama um, Who ended up being like one of my father's you know kind of like a father figure mentor for me um, and uh, After that I uh, moved to New York for a little bit to try to be a you know kind of starving artist seeing uh, seeing where you know becoming a jazz drummer would take me, you know It was, it was tough for me to kind of get gigs. I did I was playing some gigs I started playing some R&B gigs and some some jazz gigs here and there um, but I kind of took that time as an opportunity to uh, see a lot of the masters play. Like Roy Haynes was still around. I saw him play at the Blue Note five times, you know. I saw Al Foster at Smoke. Um, I saw Victor Lewis. Actually, my first night that I got there, I remember it was um, 2013. It was like February 1st, 2013. It It was the first snow in New York. You know, I took my drums on a Chinatown bus from Boston to New York. That was when I moved to New York. And that night I somehow I snuck into smalls in the in, in this village I snuck in for free, and I sat down right next to Victor Lewis like right behind the drums and I'm just like, oh my gosh, like I can't believe I'm seeing this live right now. this is New York you know this is why I moved here to to be able to see all these amazing drummers uh play right um so yeah, so I stayed there for about a year and a half or so um went back to Boston to pursue a master's degree. that was the first year that they they started something called the Global Jazz Institute that was also led by Danilo. Uh, while I was doing my my first master's at Berkeley, um, I decided to apply for the uh, Thelonious Monk Institute, which is now the Herbie Hancock Institute. Didn't even think I would even have a chance of getting in just because of, you know, when I was a kid, like 12, 13, I remember the Monk Institute was kind of like the highest echelon of like, you know, if you wanted to go and study jazz music, with the masters like that's like the hardest thing to ever get into it's because it's you know it's so selective you know they have thousands of applicants every two years and they only pick one drummer every two years so it's like your chances are so low you know um so i applied all my friends were just like man just send a tape just it doesn't matter just send a tape sent the tape got the call back went to la to audition and the next thing you know you know i'm I'm sitting in front of herbie you know herbie hancock and and Wayne shorter, and they said you know you you're chosen as as one of the seven people that's going to be studying with us for the next two years
1: did did they say how many other drummers were applying at the, like at that level?
0: I mean there must have been hundreds of applicants, you know, okay. but at the audition, I believe there were six drummers, so yeah you know i I decided to kind of you know I came to l a dropped everything that that was going on on the East Coast, and just stayed in l a pursued the masters and um Decided to just stay in LA and it's been it's been great man, you know getting to bump heads with all these Great musicians in the industry and you know, people like you and it's like it's been great it's yeah, been super man. Fun.
1: You you told the story of you know the day you were playing fly me to the moon Was it from that day forward you're like I want to be a jazz drummer that that solidified it
0: So I think at that time I was like 14 i was listening to dream theater and tool and okay porcupine tree and you know all these sick bands and a little
1: more complex uh, than blink 182 yeah (laughs) (laughs) uh
0: i don't know i I guess it was just something something about it was just like man you can't play this style of music you better learn how to do it and the next day my buddy gave me a data cd you know you can burn like 10 cds on one cd and he's like listen to all these records right now and i just kind of just got hooked it was really fun and we were always jamming and he was very uh you know enthusiastic and encouraging about helping me like learn tunes and yeah showing records and geeking out being like oh my god like that part in that one song is wow check out what you know tony williams is doing in that in, you know in that one section that's so sick we got to check it out yeah you know, spending all my lunch hours just listening to records with him yeah it was, it was it was awesome It was like good times you know
1: do you uh when you're at your practice spot do you ever just play just punk rock and just kind of put the
0: put jazz aside and just go crazy i mean you know like you like as you know being in la you kind of have you can't just play one style in in los angeles you know you got to be versatile um i'm also fortunate to have gone to berkeley like a lot of my friends were in a bunch of different circles and i was never i never wanted to just be like this one kind of drummer Mm -hmm. um you know jazz drummer like jazz elitist you know I think it's important to really be respectful of, of the style and, and the drummers and the musicians who have dedicated their entire lives to it. I'm I'm still shedding that music. But yeah, I mean when I'm when I'm shedding, I'm like, you know, I'm shedding like hip hop, I'm shedding like, you know, you know, Afro Cuban music and, you know, African music and just like, you know, just fucking around like just you know, practicing drumline chops, you know, it's like I'm doing a bunch of different things. Sure, and
1: the reason why I ask is because I mean to me I th- I don't wanna say punk rock is like a layman layman drummers you know sport but when it comes to jazz the reason why i want to have you on the show to talk about you know the the five records that will get you into jazz drumming is because me included in this it's very intimidating because like you were saying you want to be respectful of the art and the history of jazz that i mean at this point for me I, i mean i could get away with you know basic stuff but I don't want to be disrespectful to the art, you know. So, so yeah, let's, let's just get into it. Um, the first record that you have on on the list is, uh, I'm sure everyone's heard this guy is Miles Davis. And so you actually had two records, right?
0: Yeah. So it's well, you know, it's it, it's kind of always been it's it's basically the same uh, show, just like two sets. So it's they kind of split it up. So it's like you know, the, My Funny Valentine plus Four and More. Okay. So um it's just it's like a it's like a set you know every everybody always talks about that you know my funny valentine four and more it's always like one thing um it's essentially the same concert i mean dude i don't even know where to start with this you know i these were one of the this is this specific one was uh, a cd that my buddy gave me on that disc he burnt it for me uh it was one of the first things i heard i was just like what what is going on you know it's like miles like it's you know Miles Davis is like this iconic jazz artist, you know, everybody knows if you don't know what jazz is, you know who Miles Davis is. You know what I mean? You all you've obviously heard that name. But rightfully so. I mean, this especially this band in particular, it's it's the second quintet. So he kind of had a f- first quintet and that was with Paul Chambers and Philly Joe Jones and Wynton Kelly and um you know. And then this one, this was a different rhythm section with Tony uh, Tony Williams was playing drums, and Herbie Hancock was playing piano. Ron Carter was playing bass, and Wayne Shorter, the guys that I ended up studying with, which is crazy. That's still insane, same
1: man. That's so awesome.
0: Um, but man, like in in this record, especially for me, um, what's 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 inspiring about this record is that um, the way that Tony is able to kind of shape the music in real time. Like he was 18 years old when when this was recorded, so you can imagine this 18 year old kid, like hot off the press. And he's making these crazy decisions that at that time nobody was doing. Like he was in the middle of a song, he would just stop playing. He would lay out in the middle of a solo. So imagine somebody's like playing this burning solo. You know, Miles is playing a burning solo, then he just drops out. Does he keep
1: the hi hat going, or is it just silence?
0: Nothing. Sometimes it'll be like it'll just be like you know he'll play his brush and be like, you know, whatever, and then he'll just stop playing. Yeah. And then Miles will play one note. He'll be like, beat up. And then Tony's back on the ride cymbal with the stick, like, as if nothing was, you know, nothing ever stopped. You know what I mean? God. Um, so that kind of, Tony was the, one of the first guys to kind of start that. I mean, he wasn't obviously one of the first guys, but he was one of, an, he was an innovator because he was, he started that kind of um, interactive playing. You know, up until then, the role of the, the drummer was kind of more of like a timekeeper, you know. Yeah. But Tony play, was like, yeah. the, yeah, just like a jabang bang, bang, jabang, you know, like hitting crash symbols, like dropping bombs, like, you know, when he takes a solo, it's like a all, free, you know, everything is completely free, you know. So, so Tony, man, he was, he was like, he was the man, you know. Till this day, everybody's still trying to emulate that sound, and he's so iconic, super iconic.
1: And again everything i say in this podcast will sound (laughs) probably ill-informed but for me when i think of tony williams i think of that (laughs) right hand he is so fast it's his 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 finger technique is insane like he has like five people on one ride cymbal you know it's like i don't believe it
0: (laughs) yeah i mean if you if you listen to like um if you listen to walk-in which is which is off of disc two okay it's just like he wasn't afraid i mean i think back then also it was just kind of like young raw energy and you know people are saying oh man these guys are speeding up but yeah probably they're probably probably speeding up but the fact that Tony could keep that ride cymbal like chicketing 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 chick chicketing 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 man this guy's chops is crazy it's like Buddy Rich you know what, yeah. what i mean it's just like ching ching ching. um and if you watch any of his clinics you know on youtube or anything like that he plays a lot of singles and doubles like he's literally just playing singles and doubles and he'll build an entire drum solo just doing singles and doubles and then the next thing you know it's like is this jazz or is this fusion you know like he just starts he, he it doesn't matter it's just his his musicality kind of speaks for itself in particular one of the tracks that is is super important to me was was um stella by starlight okay and uh that track in particular there's there's a moment i believe it's like you know after two minutes or so where it's like one of those moments where <clears throat> tony drops out and then miles plays beat up and Tony goes on the riot symbol, and some guy in some guy in the uh, audience was like yeah, like <laughs> screaming, like yelling. I mean that I mean everybody talks about that one track, you know, but for rightfully so like the power of music, you know what I mean, just like one thing and just the entire, you know, everybody goes crazy. It's just insane.
1: I mean, and yeah. there's there's the, there's punk ethos in that kind of playing.
0: Yeah, absolutely.
1: You know, I mean, if you listen band- to
0: any of his lifetime stuff, you know, he's he's it's all like rock like it's like it's all rock, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um yeah, he also, had a good teacher. Who was his teacher? <laughs> uh alan dawson oh okay
1: out of boston okay. yeah hey y'all i wanted to <laughs> i can't say i wanted to talk to you about a drum i've recently received from preston at vessel drum co it's an ocean patinaed 14 by five and a half snare drum and it's incredible it's got a 1.5 millimeter shell brass shell with 10 lugs, chrome over brass, triple flange hoops, a trick uh, three position strainer, 42 strand wires. It's lovely, it's loud and it cuts and records as beautiful as a piece of butter cake. And, and Preston actually, this is why it's called the ocean patina, is he covers the shell with seaweed and then drops it in the ocean for a certain period of time. And then it patinas with all these crazy cool designs. And if you all remember, Preston was actually one of the first guests on the podcast when I first started out I didn't really know what the big fat five format was going to be or if it was going to be even big fat five at all but I went to his garage his his way you know where he makes all of his drums it was really cool he walked me through the episode is essentially from start to finish what happens with a drum and it was it was a really fun episode it's now archived at bigfatsnaredrum.com just because it doesn't fit the format of big fat five I want you to get back to the show but go check it out this drum is beautiful and he actually let me use it on an eve six tour and i didn't keep it and i regretted it ever since then just because i was trying to pinch pennies at the time and i just kept thinking about it and so the opportunity to get it again was presented and it is one of my favorite drums so the ocean patinaed 14 by five and a half snare drum check it out reach out to me go to vessel drum co the Instagrams just at Vessel Drum Co. and check it out. It's amazing. It's beautiful. Sounds great. Bye. <clears throat> All right, number two, uh, Chick Korea's "Now He Sings and Now He Sobs," and this is uh, from 1968. And it's Roy Haynes.
0: Yeah, Roy Haynes. Mm-hmm. Um, man, this is. I mean, this is. If somebody were to ask me, you know, like, what are your—I guess this is kind of the question that you asked me. and It was really hard for me to actually, you know, pick five records for me. Well, thank um, you for taking Desert the time Island, to do it, man. Desert Island Records, right here. This one, right here. Now he sings. Now he sobs. He's still first of all Roy is still still going strong I, I believe he's 95 years old now oh my I mean God. throughout the lineage if there's no other drummer that's played with you know Sarah Vaughn and and then played with Charlie Parker and then you know going through the ages and chicoria and now he's still playing at the blue note like you know of course his health is 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 not great but man he still plays as if he he was 20 years old 18 years old he's still playing his ass off man this guy' is insane. Honestly, like if you ever get a chance to watch Roy Haynes live, it is one of the most magical things you ever you'll ever experience. You know they they call him a snap crackle pop. Why? Uh, cause, cause of his nature, it's like everything that he plays is so like snappy. It's like check it check it check it check it and check it and check it check it check it. You know it's like everything is very like snappy. Everything's very poppy. Um, you know he does a lot of things with like you know stick. Uh, stick shots and, and uh just the way that he plays off of the uh you know the triplet where he'll play around the kid he'll be like taka, 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 taka. And he does a lot of things where he'll play the hi hat and the floor tom, you know, at the same time. You know, ta you know, this kind of thing. But um I think the the one thing for me was I've I've never heard anybody play with such a light touch before. You know, it's it's almost unbelievable. If you listen to um Matrix or uh, steps what was, or uh, windows. The way that he phrases the, the ride is absolutely just like diggading digg-ding dig ding ding So it's not, you know, when you think of the ride symbol, you think like ching chingading, chicka ding, chickading, chickading. Or in Tony's case you play ching chicky diggiding, chick so it's like five diggading Very straight. Mm-hmm. digga Chick kind of had that same thing where it was whenever he played the ride symbol, it's just like it's so it's he plays it in a straight line. You know what I mean? So I'll kind of play like great. It's not like you know. Yeah, yeah. Um, But it's very light. He's got that light touch. It's almost it almost looks like he's like, it almost sounds like it's like a pencil like touching a cymbal. You're like, it's just light. Just like yeah, that's
1: that's the hardest thing I think any drummer can agree is to play with control, with Mm -hmm. low volume. That's the hardest thing for me. <laughs> Cause I'm I'm from a punk rock background. I still play punk rock, rock, you know, pop rock, whatever, uh, for my for my gig. And uh, yeah, that's uh, something I need to practice on. So when you hear it done well, it just blows my mind. Brian Blade for me is a, is more of a modern day guy that he just his. It was like a KXP performance with um, I think it's the Fellowship Gang. Is that what his script's yeah, 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 the Fellowship. Fellowship. Gang. Yeah. and And uh, yeah, the sounds he can produce but not to take away but from roy it, haynes but yeah i just wanted to bring no. that up
0: i mean yeah i mean i wanted to you know i wanted to also talk about brian too i mean so many drummers like i could i can go on for days i mean brian is like one of my heroes as well too he could be an um, honorable um, but mention <laughs> yeah he could be an honorable mention but uh roy haynes and jack DeJohnette, they're like it was maybe after i can't i don't even know what the occasion was but maybe it was after a concert or after some some gathering or something and they have all their friends around and roy and Jack are just like trading off tap at you know tap dancing on the floor like you know like battling you know. <laughs>
1: did it's, you ever get a chance to meet Roy and I, I know you said you you got to see him um, but did you ever approach him and say what's
0: up I didn't get a chance to because yeah I mean you know there, there's a thing I it's just yeah I wish I got a chance to maybe I was a little too nervous But oh, yeah um, you know every single time I saw him at the at the blue note I sat right in front um, and you know, as like right in front of the drums and as you know, at the blue note of New York, you're really close to the drums, you know, if you're sitting on that side and I came off, you know, gave me a high five. It was all I needed. Oh, it was, was you yeah, know, you're
1: set for life.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I'm set for life. And I mean, the, the biggest respect is, is to study these guys and listen to their records and, and play along to their CDs and, and learn the ins and outs of, of their vocabulary. I think that's, that's uh, a high respect. And for me, like he's always going to be one of my heroes. No matter what. So that one day that I do get to meet him, of course I'm gonna be like, Matt, Roy, thank you. Thank you so much. You know. Can't thank you enough. I don't I don't even know where to start. Maybe I'll bake him a cake or something like that. You
1: know? <laughs> yeah, you, you you speak of uh, the jazz clubs in New York. The only one that I've actually been to um is fifty five bar, which oh, nice. is I love uh, fifty five bar. Yeah. When that place is packed out, that's a fun spot. And when I say packed yeah. out, it's like when there's twenty five people in there. Yeah, exactly, right? <laughs> Um all right yeah. so chick korea now he sings now he sobs um next one is and this is one that i'm assuming people thought was going to be on this list i mean you you mention any drummer they'll you know when, when mtv cribs they have like uh oh my god Al Pacino, scarface you know it's like yeah. everyone has scarface everyone yeah, everyone's everyone loves john coltrane's a love supreme oh, with elvin jones on the drums
0: i mean if you don't mention Elvin Jones in, in, in the... I mean, you know, relatively all these drummers that I'm talking about are were considered at that time modern drummers, you know? Um, I could have went back and we could have talked about Kenny Clark and, you know, Papa Joe, um, and those obviously, they those guys hold a, a very um, special place in my heart, but for me, these are the ones that, you know, I kind of, you know, were were um, exposed to at a young age, and these are the ones that, that spoke to me, so Elvin Jones was like, he's he's just one of those guys that everybody has to know who elvin jones is everybody has to know like what that like triplity, like laid back swing but not slowing down feeling sounds like you know what i mean that kind of lazy but you know that rolling three sound it always sounds like if he's playing like in four four it almost always sounds like he's still playing in three um, he does a lot of things where you know he he'll he'll play triplets in between in between his his snare drum and I mean that's he he did a lot of press rolls like going into a big downbeat and a, a lot of his his playing was was shaped through McCoy Tyner and I I speak about this this record in particular you know obviously there are a lot of other recordings with with this particular quartet man McCoy on this you know he does this thing where they'd be playing. And every eight bars, you just, you know, McCoy play, be like, <clears throat> you know, McCoy play this really strong downbeat, you know, with the fourth, you know, like really strongly. And every time he played that shit, Elvin would smack the cymbal like a bomb, like, you know, and that's why it was so, it just hit you every single time they're playing. It's just, it's, it just felt like this tribal feeling, you know, Elvin always had this tribal feeling. To it, and you know, he was he was very hip. He he was hip to like Afro-Cuban music and and West African drumming, and I mean this guy was hip. I guess he was also known as you know on the first track um, of a Love Supreme, uh, it's called Acknowledgement, and um, he plays like this famous like Elvin Jones Mambo. So everybody knows Mambo like like you know, you know, you know, but. He kind of took his own spin on it, you know, when he put it on the ride symbol. like very like laid back but it's you know that's why it's called the elvin mambo you know elvin's mambo it's like it's his thing you know what i mean and it's it's so iconic you know a lot of people will write in their chart like a jazz chart sometimes i'll get a jazz chart and be like play like an elvin mambo it's like perfect i know exactly what that is you know or at least my interpretation of it i'm never gonna try to sound like elvin but when somebody says play an elvin mambo i mean that's all i'm gonna go for (laughs) you know what i mean
1: why do you think that one is the uh, a love supreme why do you think that I mean I know you just explained it but why do you think that one has resonated with so many people
0: I think at that time you know in a lot of interviews and John was talking about searching for this, this spiritual place you know with uh, I don't know if you know the story but the, the story please. goes like you know John uh, you know Coltrane at the time had a you know big heroin addiction mm. and uh, when he finally realized that he you know because he was starting to lose gigs and he was in Miles' band and um, he was just, he was an addict at that time. So he, he went back home and he just went cold turkey. You know, I can't, I don't even know how long it, it took him to, to get clean from that. Um, I don't know the ins and outs, but the basic story goes, you know, he went cold turkey and, and his wife at the time was, you know, helping him, like giving him food. And he would just lock himself in the room in his house. And at that time, during that time, um, when he was going through rehab by himself, he wrote this suite. This one right here, Love Supreme. So when it came out, uh, he had a full, you know, four-part thing, and he was just like, you know, we we got to go into the studio and record this. And I think it was at that time he just had so many emotions and so many ideas that he wanted to um, say through his horn um, that it was just all trying to. He was just trying to. All the lines were just trying to come out all at the same time. And he wouldn't have been John Coltrane without McCoy Tyner, without Elvin Jones, without with these guys without Jimmy Garrison and all these guys like they were part of his sound especially Elvin you know the fact that these guys like they would just keep going you know what i mean it's almost as if live or die basically with these mm-hmm. guys right so when you listen to this record you kind of have to listen to it all the way through but it feels like they're reaching for something you know what i mean it feels like they're they're reaching for like a whatever spiritual place that they were going for and uh, I think that's why it resonates with so many people, because when people listen to it, they're just like, yeah, like I, I feel like maybe I don't know what, exactly what's going on. Coltrane's playing all these like fast lines, and, and Elvin's like hitting all these bombs, and McCoy's just like going in deeper and deeper and deeper, but they feel this kind of essence when they listen to it. I think that's why it's such a, a spiritual record for a lot of people, really, for myself included. I mean, I remember being 14 years old and listening to it on the bus to school and just being like in my like wow like what's my mind being blown just like wow like what am i listening to is this jazz like what does it mean like what's the purpose of playing jazz like what is it you know
1: that's a i mean that's that's a very good answer to that question (laughs) i'm really excited to listen to that one all the the way through man um and so and you were talking about mccoy tyner which is going to tie into our next number four which is mccoy tyner's uh super trios which is from yeah. 1977, so yes. um, about 12 years later, and this is Jack DeJeanette on the drums.
0: Yes. Well, it's it's kind of a double album. So six six of the tunes is with Tony Williams, oh, okay. and six of the tunes is uh, is with Jack DeJeanette on drums. You know, of course, I'm not saying I don't, you don't listen to the first six songs with Tony Williams. The entire record is is fucking killing. You know what I mean? Um, but especially with 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 Jack. Uh, I was I was exposed to this record by a, a teacher of mine actually it was um, uh, his name was Ralph Peterson I remember I came into a, a lesson and it, in the in the practice in the um, in the lesson rooms um, they would always have these big speakers so they can play music so I remember going into my lesson one day Ralph plays the last track on this album Blues for Ball he's like play along to it let me hear what you sound like just play along to it don't worry about it just play along to it and I'm just like what like how do I play along to this? Like, I don't, I don't know what to do with my limbs. Where <laughs> is my hand supposed yeah. to go? Like, what is my foot supposed to do? Like, yeah, where yeah. am I supposed to fill on the drums? You know. <laughs> he's after. After he's like, man, what? Like, what do you feel about that? I'm like, man, I'm just, it was all over the place. But he's like, man, but it was, it was killing, right? I'm like, yeah. Like, who was that? Who was that on drums? He's like, that's Jack DeGenet. And uh, he, you know, Ralph would always talk about this kind of like. Washing machine kind of feeling like this rolling, you know, all these drummers I'm talking about all have this like rolling kind of feel But when I think about Jack, it's kind of like a painter. He's he's painting. He's kind of just like he'll just like play It's he's, he's very rolly like he'll, he's kind of like a rolly drummer. So he'll play a lot of doubles, but for me, it's it's hard to Study somebody like Jack because it's almost like it's you can't transcribe it. I mean you can it would take a very long time it's very i mean you can i'm sure you can but i i personally haven't spent the time to because it's just too crazy i would just rather get the essence of it like for someone like elvin which is still very hard to transcribe you can still kind of notate some of this stuff but for jack it's so unexpected everything he plays is so unexpected Also, one of those melodic drummers too, like super melodic. I mean, he he tunes his drums in different intervals, and he has a lot of different drums, right? So it's like, you know, any if you watch any of his his performances on on YouTube, like it's just everything is like ding 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 ding. He kind of has this like classical snare approach when he plays. It's a lot of it is like he has a lot of arms, but it's very relaxed. So when you hear the rolls, they're all super even, like you know. So I mean that's that's why I love Jack, you know, especially on the, on that track, Blues for Ball. Like it's it's insane. This this, I mean it's 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 almost like a wave of sound, but it's still it's you know once you hear it, it's kind of funky like, you know, and he just plays all these rolly things and it's just it's it's just great. It's great.
1: Well, no, this is why I'm I'm stoked to have you on because a lot of times, again, I'll include myself in this when I listen to when I listen to jazz. I don't know how to decipher it. Like, I'm—I definitely am hearing the different drummers' styles, but until I like mm-hmm. listen to what you're saying, I hope all, our listeners do this. You know, listen to exactly what you're saying about Jack, then go listen to it. Be like, oh, okay, I get it now. Because it's like they are hearing how he's different, but until mm-hmm. you're you take away the intimidation and actually have someone be like, this is why he's different. Do you understand now? It's like, oh, totally, I do. I think to a lot of people, they just don't know what to look for in jazz, so it's fun to here's someone who knows about it um and this this one too the mccoy tyner the super trios i, I noticed that the drums are mixed higher in the mix too um right
0: and if if you listen to um uh, moments notice and that that's on the tony side of the record tony williams it's just drums and piano and if you if you want to hear the drastic difference from four and more my funny valentine to this record you really hear it i mean he's He's fucking going for it. Like, you know, it's like Billy Cobham, like that kind of like Dennis Chambers, like that kind of drumming. It's just like, he's like crashing everywhere. Just like very bombastic, like, but controlled, very controlled, of course, at the same time.
1: And that's but, Tony at the ripe man. old age of, like, what, 28 at that point? Yeah. <laughs> He's already like been a legend yeah. for, you know, years.
0: Yeah. <laughs> it's but ridiculous. You, I mean, just you you can even hear somebody grow. Well, when you can hear somebody of, of that caliber grow and see their maturity over the years, Like, I think that's that's just wonderful, you know, hearing how people can, can just continue progressing, especially someone like Tony, man. Like, by the end of his career with his lifetime project, it's just, like, like you said it's like punk rock it's just literally just like punk rock rock music just like fusiony kind of music and just like these guys like they they were all just trying to be musicians and be the best drummers that they could you know
1: Mm -hmm. all right so number number five this is lee morgan's cornbread from 1965 and this drummer i'm not familiar with as much as which is a billy higgins
0: um you know billy higgins is like i think he's from l.a Pretty sure he's from L.A. But he, he was kind of like an L.A. native. And I think a lot of people, you know, in Crenshaw, you know, they Billy was like a, a big, big, big influencer for them because he, he was the first the person that uh, founded the world stage. You know, Billy was that kind of person who would um, allow a lot of young musicians to come and jam with him. And he was like a, it was almost like a guardian angel. He was like helping everybody in the community. But something that makes him really special, um, I also like to talk about it, couple reasons for me especially on this record is that you kind of get a lot of different styles or a lot of different ways of playing jazz music because he has you know you have your straight ahead like you know like your medium swing you have your brushes um you kind of have there's a track on there called siora where it's kind of like a bossa nova bossa nova samba you kind of thing but what billy higgins is known for is is his boogaloo All these drummers were known for, for their, their swing pattern. And, and Billy was known for it, his swing pattern being very straight. Um, another thing, especially for Billy, that, that was great for me is, is just the way that he would approach comping on the snare drum. And a, a lot of not-lead drummers that are trying to get into jazz, it's almost like their left hand is like an auxiliary. It just happens when it happens, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So for Billy, it's great because you can kind of... If you transcribe it, you can kind of hear the, the different beats that he's that he's playing in the grid um, a lot of times he would play on the and of two and the end of three and he would buzz a lot of his notes on the snare drum um, later on his, in his career you can probably hear more of that than than on this album on this album it's still very swinging more more like a little bit more like roy Haynes, you know
1: yeah, you gotta, you know, he's getting paid, he's gotta do what he's supposed to do, and then when you get a little more confidence later on in the career, you can be like, you know what, I wanna do this.
0: I don't wanna do that anyway. <laughs> yeah, exactly.
1: <laughs> and you mentioned, you mentioned Max Roach, which, um, not that I'm surprised you didn't have a, a Max Roach record on there, but do you have a favorite Max Roach record to, uh, you know, get people? Because I'm sure every drummer's heard that name, too.
0: Yeah, I'd, I'd say you should check out the uh, Max Roach and Abby Lincoln record, the Freedom Now Suite. back.
2: really me can't conceive it can't believe it but that's what they say slave no longer slave no longer this is freedom day freedom day
0: I mean, if it weren't for Max Roach, I mean, it's like, you know, all those other drummers wouldn't, wouldn't have that kind of base and foundation that they do. Uh, and he, he's another one. He's, he's, he's very great with, if, if, if we can put uh, jazz comping between the snare and the bass drum and relate it to linear playing, he was a very linear player. You okay. know what I mean? He, you can hear his limbs very clearly because you can hear the, the, the constant dialogue between the snare and the bass drum. Mm-hmm. you know and he would use a lot of um uh hemiolas like two over three uh three over two kind of kind of polyrhythms mm-hmm. you know deca, 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 deca. Very, cle- he, he's a very clean drummer to me but very powerful
1: the other one that i want to talk on that i don't really know much about um is art blakey
0: art blakey was known for for just putting together these amazing bands you know art blakey and the jazz messengers you know he had all of the greatest musicians you know like wayne shorter and you know Freddie hubbard and uh bobby timmons and i can't even think just like a bunch of people like terrence blanchard and he just had a legacy of 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 musicians throughout the years that kind of grew up in that kind of camp of lee morgan camp of playing you know just very like they would write the music for art and what was so powerful about him is is that he was almost like a big band drummer you know because he would just lead the band like he was he was known for a shuffle like art blakey shuffle like
1: laying it down you know
0: fat just laying it down using the bass drum his he was mostly known for his press roll his press roll like it would just go from zero to like ten thousand in a span of two bars you know what i mean okay and he would just lay into that into that ride cymbal and just like that time was going like when you know when when he played that press roll and hit the cymbal that was when you knew that music was gonna that music's going you know what i mean like the rest of the the rest of history the entire the entire concert's going to be blaring you know
1: um i mean that's that's kind of i mean i thank you so much tons of great information is there anything else you wanted to talk about when it comes to why people should get into
0: jazz drumming yeah absolutely i mean you know i i I think there's no there's no great way to kind of like prepare yourself to like listen to jazz or 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 just like dig deep into it like you know the way that i started i actually i got this book i'm sure a lot of people do when they want to first get into jazz i got this book john riley the art of Bob drumming oh sure yeah and that's a great book because you can it, he kind of breaks it down in a very easy way and he, he shows like different comping patterns that were very um, common at the time or common to hear and that kind of phrasing um but realistically with with any other style of music it's really just about getting deep into the um the history and like listening to records and, and honing into the ones that you really like and for me the way that I learned honestly and is the way most people learn is is through transcribing and also just sitting down and playing with the records like literally just playing with the records you know an exercise i used to do I still do to this day you know if you're if you're listening to a record and like i said you know with these drummers they all have different ride beats just play just the ride cymbal, you know? Like, I would have the ride cymbal set up in my room and just try to play just the ride cymbal. Like, what makes this guy's ride cymbal different from this guy's ride cymbal? I think that'll already itself take care of half the battle. When somebody plays jazz, it's not just one thing. There are so many different ways of, of playing that style of music. So, I mean, you know, if if I were somebody that was, you know, in a punk rock band or in a heavy metal band or, The lines are being blurred these days you know jazz drummers are are trying to sound more like steve jordan you know and then steve jordan is trying to sound more like a jazz drummer you know there's no better time especially right now like with the time that we all have doing you know if we're not working at home check out a record and check out some of these records that i mentioned and try to play along with them and see what happens you know you never know you could possibly get hooked onto something and that I, I hope I inspire somebody to, you know, listen to these records and be like, man, like, this was a fucking great record, man. I'm going to keep listening to this and, and really try to dig deep, dive deep into Haynes or dive deep into Tony Williams. I hope that that really comes through with, with whoever's listening to this podcast.
1: And that's the show. If you're listening on a platform that allows ratings and reviews, do that. It helps more people find the show, so it'll get bigger and better, and hopefully I'll have a chance to sell out one day, but you'll be an OG listener that can brag to all your friends. Anyways, why don't you go and check us out at drum.com and follow us on all the socials. Just search for Big Fat Drum, and you will find us. The show is edited in part using Isotope RX Audio Editor. It's amazing, so go check that out at isotope.com. And thanks again to Gunnar Olson for the theme music. Also, go check out Anthony's own music, wherever you stream music, by searching Anthony Fung. His last name is spelled F-U-N-G. Bye.